Episode 17, Hey Love Podcast. It really would change, you know, because the Holy Spirit's role in my ministry before um, wasn't really existent. Mm. Um, but now, like, I know I can't change someone's heart. That's not my job. Welcome to Hey Love, engaging the introverted woman in soul care, spirituality, and social spaces. Here, it's all about relationships. Hey, love. Missed you last week when I was way under. My name is still Carthy Masters, and I'm feeling so much better. I'm so glad to be back and glad to have you. Today, we're going to be talking to a young man in my sweet Nashville community who's being used by God as an agent of growth and change to people all around him. He had such a paradigm-shifting, life-transforming experience some time ago, and you and I are going to get to hear all that God has taught him in a nutshell. And I'll tell you more about him in a minute, but first I'm going to have to share with you a little story which I store in my mental file under the major wife fail category. There's also redemption in this story, too, though, like in any good story. This past week for Christmas, I gave my husband a gift that I think is my all-time favorite. It was thought out. I spent time putting it all together just right for him. It was a collection of Dr. Seuss books. Here's why it was so special. Okay, I get a little Marie Kondo crazy sometimes. I don't know about you, but when it comes to spring cleaning, do you just go nuts? Well, one day, this was quite a few years ago because my kids were both little. I had a burst of energy and decided to start clearing stuff out. I had a giveaway pile, a garbage pile, and a store somewhere else pile. When I got to my daughter's room, I was so happy to find a bag full of clothes that she'd outgrown. She had just collected it all by herself and put them all in a huge, big, black lawn bag. I took it downstairs and thought, I'll just go through it later to make sure there's nothing really valuable in there. But... I forgot that last step, and what I didn't realize was she had just cleared off her entire bookshelf. That bookshelf housed some of my husband's most cherished children's books that he read as a boy. Blair's mother lovingly held on to these books, wrote notes in them, carried them with her every time they moved. Then, when Blair and I got married, she gave me a treasure box full of his favorite things from when he was a toddler. There was an old stuffed bear, a matchbox car, and a whole collection of books. Picture books, word books. There were a few books from each of the different reader stages, all hardcover, all in pristine condition. His favorite were the Dr. Seuss books. By the time our Elijah had read through all of those books a thousand times, they got passed on to Davy. By now, they had a few marks in the corners that had just the slightest signs of wear, but they were still all bound intact. Davy knew they were her daddy's books, but she was too young to appreciate the nostalgia here. Now that she was ready for more sophisticated reading, she was done with these childish storybooks. She'd bag them up. By this point, I was well into my commando Marie Kondo phase, especially as I was nesting because we were updating our home study for our second adoption. I was in the zone, baby, and I gave away bags and bags of clothes to Goodwill and Thrift Smart. And since I completely forgot to check inside Davy's big lawn bag, I gave away my hubby's entire Dr. Seuss collection. It was a wife fail of massive proportions. He was crushed when he discovered they were gone. And 
Even though he forgave me, I never quite got over it myself. So recently, when I was at my friend Stephanie's house, I noticed a beautiful old children's book on her fireplace mantle. I told her the story about my wife, Phil, and she suggested that I replace the books for Blair and write an apology inside. So I took it a step further this Christmas and added an old photo from when he was little. He had the cutest look on his face in that picture. It really captured the essence of him at that rascally lover stage. I pasted that photo to the inside cover, and here's what I wrote for the dedication. My dearest Blair, years ago I got a little crazy spring cleaning, and I inadvertently gave away some of your favorite books that you read as a child. I hope this helps you recapture that sweet little boy who played football in the yard, lit fire to the neighbor's pine tree, loved planting flowers and seeds with his mom, and read Dr. Seuss. I love you with an everlasting, even retroactive love. I knew I got him. My lumberjack man teared up as soon as he opened the cover. It was so touching. I loved it. Thanks for the idea, Steph. Giving gifts, I tell you, is more and more the thing. You know what I mean? The older I get, the more I enjoy the giving part. Speaking of giving, here's what we got going today. The young man I'm going to interview is a multi-talented visionary who specializes in design and discipleship. I liken him to a Michelangelo of building disciples. His name is Eric Hoffman, and he happens to be one of my pastors. He talks about the gift that Jesus gave us in the Holy Spirit, and you'll love the way Eric describes it. Jesus saves us his best for last. Eric's the curator of one of the most transformative Bible studies I have ever taken part. It's called Becoming a Wholehearted Disciple, but it's not out yet, so you won't find it on Amazon. He's still piloting the workbook in our church, and we'll let you know as soon as it's published. He also does a mean beatbox trumpet. You'll hear that in the outtake, so stay tuned for that at the very end. Jesus, toward the end of his life and after his resurrection, talked about how he needed to go on so that the Holy Spirit can come. So it goes from Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, to the Spirit being in us all the time without end. I think about how all through the Gospels we read accounts of Jesus with people, and He wants them to touch Him. You need healing. Yes, touch me. Suffer the little children. Let them touch me. The woman who was bleeding for 12 years and hunched over, nobody else would touch her. But Jesus welcomed her. Touch me. But then, as Tim Keller points out in a sermon entitled, A Spirit Hath No Flesh and Bone, when Mary Magdalene wants to touch the resurrected Christ, he says, no, don't touch me, which Keller explains is more like, Mary, don't hang on to me right now. I need to go. In the first cases of Jesus being touched, he knew that it was for the best of the people for them to touch him. In this latter case with Mary Magdalene, Jesus knew it was better for her to not touch him, to let go of him, so that the Spirit could come and fill up all her senses and never, ever leave her. In every case, without exception, he was thinking, what is the best thing for this person? In my own experience engaging with Eric's workbook and subsequently with the Holy Spirit in a whole different, fresh way— I feel like I can see and touch and feel the changes in me. And I think that my husband and kids and closest friends would tell you the same. For starters, I find that I smile more at my husband than I used to and laugh at myself a whole lot more than I ever could before. You got to know, I am still learning to rely on the Holy Spirit in my everyday life. It goes completely against my nature. So I write down prayers in my journal. 
I try every morning to write in there. Some days I miss, but I always ask the Holy Spirit to remind me to do the things that, that, that just don't come naturally for me, like hug your husband and kiss your kids, pray for them, smile at them, say goodbye to people when you're leaving the house. Might sound silly to you. Those things are so basic, but I really didn't know how to do even those simple little things. But the Holy Spirit is transforming me and my relationships, changing all that from the inside out. Steph, my friend who suggested the book, she's been one of my closest comrades for over a decade, and she says that I'm healthier emotionally and relationally than she's ever seen me. She's super honest. You'll catch that when I interview her in the spring. I am so humbled and grateful for the changes that she sees and others close to me see. They're evidence that the Holy Spirit is alive and kicking in me. I'm not boasting of myself here at all. All the credit and glory and honor go straight back up to Him. So what about you? Do you know the Holy Spirit as a person? Do you feel like He's active in your everyday life? Do you feel like you're partnering with Him, processing life together with Him? Or do you feel like your faith is like compartmentalized to just Sunday morning and the rest of your week is like real life and that's lived apart from the Spirit. And your walk with Jesus is more of a transactional deal than a vibrant relationship. Do you ever feel stuck or like something's missing from your journey with Jesus? While you're driving or cooking or washing or wiping or running or walking or mopping or sipping or Whatever you're doing, ponder these things in your heart. Think about how you interact with the Holy Spirit. Drink this in and just let it put a soft hush over your day. Eric starts us off by talking about the frustration he experienced in his marriage to Melissa, how he found his old default systems that had always won him accolades before. They just wouldn't work in marriage. And how he came to the end of himself and how God took his brokenness to rebuild him from the ground up and is now showing him how to be a conduit of change for other people. I feel like I do need to explain one thing, though. There's a part in the interview where I talk about this one lesson where where we were required to move in response to one of our lessons in the Bible study. It's really not like we had to do a snake dance or anything weird like that at all. It was just this little exercise where Eric laid the index cards out on the floor. There was fear, faith, and courage. And one of the girls in our class had to play um, sort of the guinea pig. And he had her step on each card, one at a time. And he encouraged her to name her fears in this particular situation she was going through. What are you most afraid of here? What would faith look like? What would it be like to invite the Spirit into your situation in this moment? It was really simple. I mean, there was hardly anything to it, but the effects of it were huge. I think it just makes you take ownership of a truth. Like, it takes it even deeper into your heart when you have to do more than just write down a short, pat answer. Here's part one of my interview with Eric Hoffman. I first started to understand that there was a problem when Melissa and I were kept running into the same marital issues over and over again. And the typical thing I normally would do would be go out and pick up a book, get the advice out of it, and then try to like, in my own willpower and strength, you know, pull myself up my bootstraps and and apply it. And normally, all my life, that has worked. (laughs) Um, 
and when it didn't in marriage, I was just like, something's off mm. and I don't know what it is. And trying harder and self-sufficiency isn't working. Mm. And it's worked all my life. Like my performance of um, doing, relying on myself and it didn't work. And so I was come face to face with like, this is something's broken. I don't know what it is, but counseling was a dirty word in um, the culture that I grew up mm. in. And so only really uh, messed up people go to counseling. And so fellowship, I, I was just starting off at fellowship, just moved to Nashville. It was about six years ago. They said, hey, we would love to invest in you and send you to this uh, leadership counselor out in Colorado. And we want to send you and Melissa because we realize if you change, it doesn't really matter unless your wife is alongside, wow. which so grateful um, for that investment. So I went out there and not really knowing what to expect and sat with uh, this counselor and his name was Jack. And, and it was like he was reading my journal. Uh, <laughs> you know, have you ever been in those situations where someone like describes oh, the yes. situation you're in and you're like, okay... Do you have like a nanny cam in my house or, you know, what's going on here? And so things just started to really just kind of like open up for me. And for the first time, I started to understand some places that um, really in my story, some places that I had relied as a Mm -hmm. uh, self-protection or defense mechanism, those type of things. Um, Maybe it helped me survive situations, Mm -hmm. but I didn't need that system anymore. Mm. And I started to understand the system of trying harder, self-reliance, and my performance was the very thing that was uh, resisting the power of the gospel in my life. And so I didn't feel free. I didn't understand grace. And so when when I started to let the walls come down, that's, that's really where the gospel started to come alive. Um, and the, how long, Eric, had mm-hmm. you been a Christian by then? Um, well, I said the prayer when I was young, you know, but probably really understood and came to faith and responded in high school. And so, you know, it was probably 10, 12 years at that point. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. You, you were a believer for over a decade and yeah. still it was But the fascinating thing, Carthy, is that... Now, as I as I sit with people and have you know, this is our fifth year of men's discipleship, and now we've launched it into women. Yeah. Um, my story is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people. Like if you were to say describe what it means to be a Christian, they would talk about what they do. They would mm-hmm. talk about activities, uh, religious activities of going to church, reading their Bible, trying hard. Um, but that is not. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so when you start actually unfolding that it's what God has done on our behalf, that He reached out to us, that He initiated towards us, that He did all this work, it's not a work of our own. So in theory, as a pastor, I knew it was by grace alone, through faith alone. Like I could have quoted all of that. In Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. I could, I could have gone through all that and even defended that. Right. But functionally, how I live my life, it was not that way. Mm-hmm. And so when I started to actually understand um, that this is a work of God, not of myself, and that I can rest in that, and that my security is not in my performance, but in His performance on my behalf, that shifted mm. um, the whole system that I was in. Like and I didn't marriage have marriage really yeah. was a mirror for you. Yeah. Oh, marriage was a huge mirror. Because up until mirror. that point, mm-hmm. you could kind of make your life work. Yeah, and, and honestly, in, and this is sad in some ways, but my performance was always celebrated. Mm. 
you know, so you did this or you accomplished right. this or man, where would we be without this or, right. and, and so in a lot of ways that actually hindered me from actually digging into some things that needed to change that were always there. Hmm. Um, like I would steamroll people, um, people became a task, um, for me to get things done rather than, you know, a person, you know, which is really sad to think of now. So around that, around this time, I started to do some work in really understanding how God has wired me to be. And I always knew that I always wanted to get things done. I was always put into leadership positions, but I didn't really understand like what was unique in my ability to offer um, to the church. And so when I thought of it, you know, I wouldn't be, people wouldn't look at me and say, oh, you're a typical pastor or your personality is, you know, mm. you know, there, there's always some confusion around that. And so I really wrestled with that for a while, but now I really have come to own like how God has wired me is really a gift. And That's great. Um, so I, I would say it this way that I can visualize ideas, cultivate them, and then see them to implementation for positive change and for the glory of God. So that's that's kind of nice. how I would um, describe it um, in my in myself. And so that's that's really I love being around things to be able to to see things that others can't, to visualize things that um, are harder for people to visualize. So really, in work with ministry and coming back to even in men's discipleship, women's discipleship, I'm able to see things and say things to people that help them and spur change rather yeah. than just giving them something to learn about or think about or it really produces change in them. Um, and that's the way Michael Angela, you know, you sound like an artist when you're talking about discipleship sometimes. Mm. And Michael Angela would look at a piece of stone and see what's struggling to get out from within the stone mm. as he was sculpting. You know, it makes me think of Gideon, like God saw the warrior while he was still hiding. Mm. And it feels like you can imagine the change that can be happening in a person Mm -hmm. as you're looking at them. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you can see the potential. Yeah. Because you've seen the change within yourself. Mm -hmm. And so go back to, like you said, you went away for this time of intensive counseling. Mm -hmm. The one who would never go to counseling. Yeah, for sure. And so it was like a week long. It sounds like it was almost like, you know, 10 years of Celebrate Recovery in (laughs) like a week long counseling session. Yeah, it was. I mean, and it felt felt like a long time when I was there Mm because it felt like time was standing still in a lot of different ways. And, And Melissa and I were having conversations that... Um, felt new and different and had energy uh, mm-hmm. around them. It felt like, wow, there's some hope in these mm-hmm. places that we were really struggling with before. And some keys felt like they were being turned and some things felt like they were being unlocked for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I love doing what I'm doing now is that I'm seeing those same things happen in other people's lives. Oh, like it, it. The, the grace that God has shown me is being stewarded into others. And mm-hmm. that's really that's really powerful. Um, for me to see God do a work that, and really what changed, you know, because the Holy Spirit's role in my ministry before um, wasn't really existent. Mm. Um, But now, like, I know I can't change someone's heart. That's not my job. That's great. And so if I can rest in the fact that I can trust the process that God has them on a process Mm -hmm. and that He wants to change their hearts, 
um, but only he can do that. Mm-hmm. So instead of me trying to manipulate and force that, like I'm actually okay with their resistance. I'm actually okay wow. with their um, struggle. I'm actually okay with them um, mm-hmm. not liking me <laughs> even sometimes, right? Because <laughs> because I know that it's not it's not going to be me that's going to you know really do the real work. Now there are some things that I can do to facilitate some of those things, but ultimately it's him that changes hearts, and yeah. so. It's, it's allowed me to be a little freer and, a little, and rest a little bit more. And so after you got back from that intensive week in Colorado, you started putting together this book. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't know it was that at the time. Wow. Yeah. So it's been five years. Um, what I did was I was starting to experience life and change. And I've had, I've had many conversations with good friends who are in very similar places. Mm-hmm. Maybe their under their understanding of the gospel or faith or whatever what it means to be a Christian or following Jesus, however, you know, whatever their language they would use, mm-hmm. they would describe the stuckness. Yeah. But they would also, I would say, an epidemic in in what I'm seeing um, with people is that we compartmentalize our faith, mm. and so maybe they have their Jesus fix in the morning, uh, mm-hmm. and they read their Bible in the morning, or they go to a Bible study. Or they go to church on Sundays, but there isn't really a relationship with God that um, they're with God yeah. in, like in every, every part day. of their life. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, that's wrong. That's broken. Mm-hmm. That's not really how Jesus intended it to be. He didn't come that we would be better sin managers. Yes, I love he that. He came one. that we would actually experience freedom in Him and life in Him. And so I would. I just got these guys that I knew were in these places, and I said, guys, I have no idea mm-hmm. what we're going to do, how this is going to work, but would you just come with me on this little journey, and like, so we're great. just going to... And I literally, Carthy, it's like funny when I look back at the Word documents now, but I would, I would read something, and I would read a book, and it would, it would just be so speaking to me and, and helping me understand some things, and then I would distill it down for these guys in like a page and send it out to them. Mm. And I said, hey, read this. And then we'll talk about it next Tuesday. And so we were at Panera for the first six months. And we started doing that. And, and then I just started trying these these exercises to actually get them to interact with something. So what I've noticed is it's really easy for people to write down something or just say something. But until they actually have to like tangibly like express it into words oh or interact with it, it so doesn't true. really make... You know, it doesn't really take root, and so those exercises that you've had us do in there. Mm-hmm. In you, don't make it sound like a cult. No, it's like <laughs> it's so simple. You just lay down three index cards on the floor. Yeah. But actually, having to move your body onto okay, right now here's faith, mm-hmm. and here's you know I can't remember the other two, but fear, faith, courage. Fear, faith, yeah. courage. So I was like, why is this? sinking in so much more yeah. than if I were to just read it or even just write down my answer. Mm-hmm. There's something to it. Moving and owning it really makes mm-hmm. a difference. It locks it in your brain in a different way. Yeah, and it sounds weird when you when you talk. Like, I know your listeners are probably like, wow, this, this pastor sounds like really, <laughs> like... Snake dance. Yeah, new agey, you know, <laughs> crystals or something. That's not true. Like, no. it's, it's really like, I mean, with anything... Um, like, our faith isn't just in our mind. Yeah. You know, like, we actually, like, when Jesus called his disciples, like, he actually called them to step out. 
and experience. And Jesus, even in language, when he, talk, when he talks about the kingdom or he talks about following him, he's like, come, mm-hmm. you know, taste and see. Come mm-hmm. experience this. Come um, and then extend in, your hand. Yeah, in First John, you know, one of my one of my favorite, favorite passages is, is talking about the disciples, and it talks about it in using the senses. Mm. It talks about this is what we have seen, what we have heard, what we um, have touched. Like they're talking about this experience with Jesus, and not just what we know. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not just a, a cognitive knowing. It's like no, we have seen, we have heard, we have touched, we have. Um, spoken about we have proclaimed like they're using language that is is really all of our senses that's great which is really fascinating and so in the church when you think about i mean think about like uh, a lecture there's so much research shown that when of what we retain of just listening to lecture Hmm. that we only retain like a very small percentage like i don't Hmm. want to give a a fake percentage on on your podcast but like there's (laughs) it's such a small percentage but like think about how we how we do church is come and then sit and listen right and then people leave and like literally five minutes later i could be like hey what did what did rob say or what i don't remember you know but when you use illustrations or where people are able to imagine things or where people are able to experience things where they're if where it feels tangible to them, mm-hmm. it takes root in a way that just listening to something doesn't. And so that's what we're trying to get people to do is just interact with these truths yeah. in a way that gets them to feel a little bit um, uncomfortable mm. to where they actually have to process with God. That's what we're trying to get people to do is that's process great. life with God. Hmm. And that sounds so simplistic, and it is, mm-hmm. and it is in a way. I love it, though. It's been so good for me to take part. And I wish there was a way to make church service more <laughs> interactive like we're that. We're trying, yeah. Wouldn't that be neat? Yeah, we're trying. Okay, um, get we've made back some to changes. me on that, because I, I would love yeah. to see something on my desk by Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wrote in my notes in my discipleship work, workbook that the enemy wants us to stay confused. I can't remember if this is... Something that you, I heard you say, and I was writing down notes, or mm. something I said. Mm-hmm. The enemy wants us to stay confused or ignorant, uninformed about, or afraid of the Holy Spirit. Because yeah. something you did say was that Jesus saved his best gift for last, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And this being Christmas, you know, and I mean, every one of us, I'm just as guilty as my listener or my kids or anyone else, we've gotten so caught up in gift receiving and gift giving. And at one point early in my Christian walk, I remember thinking, well, it's Jesus' birthday, right? So why are we getting all the gifts? It was Mm. really confusing to me. Mm -hmm. And I remember my discipler in my Campus Crusade action group said (laughs) something about... Oh, well, it's a way we show love to one another, but it just never... Seemed off, yeah. Yeah, it just never made sense. Yeah. So, but I love that you... I'm sure your kids really enjoy not getting gifts. (laughs) Yeah, we couldn't (laughs) hold that up very long. One time we tried to do... You know, the heifer catalog, have you ever done that? It's like... No, that sounds awful, yeah, though. Yeah, it sounds awful, but it's such a sweet thing. Like, the heifer catalog? Yeah, you buy not just... One like a cow, cow yeah, a cow. You oh, buy okay. a whole cow and give it to a family in a village in India or Africa, yeah. and then they have milk for the year. So it was a great thing that so you have a bunch of heifers. Yeah, but yeah. the kids were like, "I don't want to get a heifer this year." It was not a thrill, <laughs> uh, not a thrill for them. So I wonder why. That's 
But I love that you said Jesus saved his best gift for us for mm-hmm. last. Mm-hmm. And that being the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Why, why is the Holy Spirit so special? What is it about him? Why yeah. did Jesus save him for last? Well, it's interesting that J.I. Packer has a quote that will really kind of start the conversation. And it, it talks about Christmas. And, and he says that the average Christian deep down is in complete fog as to what the work of the Holy Spirit does. So some talk of the Spirit of Christ in the way that they would talk of the Spirit of Christmas as a vague cultural pressure making for religiosity. But most don't even think about the Holy Spirit at all. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus, in John 14, chapter 14 through 17, he's in his farewell conversation with his disciples. Yeah. And he says this phrase, and it always like really... It was so confusing, I just would skip over it. Hmm. And he said, it is better that I leave you and give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the teacher to come, than it is for me to stay with you. Now, I can imagine his disciples feel much like we would feel in that moment. Because even if someone came to you right now, which would you rather have? Would you rather have like the Spirit or would you rather have Jesus like walking with you? Oh, like we man. would we would say, no, I'd rather like sit down and, and have a meal with Jesus. You know, like yeah. I'd rather like be able to talk to him about like what am I supposed to do here and all these things. But it's really profound in, in the way that Jesus is talking about it. He's not talking about a power. He's talking about a person of the Trinity to not only uh, be with us, but in, in John 15, uh, in 16 and 17, like when he's talking about it, he says he's not going to just be with you. He's going to be in you yeah. forever. Crazy. Which still produ- should produce just awe that Christmas in itself, that God, the God of the universe came incarnate mm-hmm. to live with us, should produce enough awe. Mm-hmm. But then that we would become the people that he dwells in, or his temple. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother level, right? And wow. and so what I've really found is like the church I I grew up in. You know, there's there's kind of two different camps. There's the um, the Holy Spirit is this power and it's experience that we have to kind of like uh, harness or experiential kind of a thing, and, th- and that feels very like mysterious and just vague and not tangible at all. Mm-hmm. And then you have where okay, well, we don't want to go to that side and be like dancing in the aisles and saying a bunch of things we don't know what we're saying. So we're going to go to this side where it just becomes a doctrine. It just becomes this cognitive thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I'm talking about that we've been deceived. Mm. Because if, if the Holy Spirit is given to us as a counselor and a teacher to be with us always, well, of course, the evil one wants us to be confused by this. Absolutely. And doesn't want us to have understanding. And so when I started um, reading and I, you know, I was in a seminary class and, and I was taking notes down like crazy because I was just like, how come we never talk about this? Yeah. Like how come, um, like, and then I started reading all these New Testament passages and then I started looking at Old Testament passages talking about like what one day this spirit-led Messiah would look like and then what... Um, the Holy Spirit would look like in the New Testament. And I was just like, holy cow. In the Old Testament, they're beginning to paint this picture for us. And it's it's progressive. You know, it's you know, as you see uh, the Messiah, what the Messiah would look like and what the Messiah would be like, there's all these prophecies about that. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, you know, this is why I've come. I've come to seek and save the lost. And he starts 
quoting Micah and Isaiah of who he is. Well, the same is true actually of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36 and in Isaiah, you have these passages that are talking about the Spirit of God will now not just be with the people, but will actually be in the people, like will actually dwell in us. And oh, and then Jesus wow. is picking up on that and he is saying, <laughs> listen, I am the Spirit-led Messiah. Mm. Um, I've been relying on the Spirit and now I'm giving you the same Spirit that's that's you know raised me from the dead is, is yours and now lives in you, and so wow. you you get this clearer picture of what the work of the spirit does and it's it's fascinating to to think about that but that we can actually interact with the Holy Spirit and I love that you pointed out that Jesus himself was led by the spirit mm-hmm. and fully reliant on the spirit mm-hmm. so it's like you wrote in that book if Jesus was reliant, how can I think that I can get through a single day? without relying on the Holy Spirit. I feel like I can hear this message every day and still glean some new thing every time. Didn't you appreciate how candid Eric was about the way in which God got a hold of him? Nothing like marriage to mirror back to you your sinful, self-absorbed self. And if you're not married, the Spirit can use any close relationship to accomplish this. If you pursue intimacy and open yourself up to being known, God can use anyone in your life. Eric knew something was broken inside him, and thank God his system of barreling through and steamrolling people to get the task done, thank God those failed, and he finally realized this is not working anymore, because that's what made him get real about everything, to come clean. You can hear the freedom in his voice, can't you? He moved from sin management to daily keeping in step with the Holy Spirit of the living God of Israel. It's hard for me to ever imagine him steamrolling people, but I know what I'm capable of myself and what the Spirit has convicted me of, so I don't doubt what Eric says. He moved from being motivated by fear to being propelled by faith, which then gave him the courage to do what he was made by God to do on earth. I think it was really funny that in the interview, I started to tell him how deeply impacted I was by that exercise on fear, faith, and courage. Like, I'll never, ever forget it. And then I couldn't remember what two of the three cards said. <laughs> One of my favorite evidences of the Holy Spirit is in Acts 4, where we see the disciples all afraid. You know, they're all hiding out because they've had their lives threatened. And then full of the Holy Spirit in Acts 4, they're, they're out in the street preaching in broad daylight. What happened? Are these the same men? The Spirit is the one who emboldened them. Here's a list of some of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us, for you and me. He's always in motion in our lives, wanting to encourage us, build us up, counsel us, take us somewhere. He's interceding for us to grow in wisdom and faith. He's always speaking to us, hoping that we have ears to hear. He's the one who brought the gospel to us and drew us into the fold of God. He's in charge of distributing gifts to the church, producing his own fruit and character in us, regenerating and sanctifying us, making us more holy like Jesus all the time. He reminds us of our true identity. He reminds us of the truth, bringing scriptures to mind. He makes obedience another word for love. He's the one who enables us to move from being self-reliant image management specialists to love-driven, grace-propelled, resurrection-empowered, free people. He's the one who helps us look forward to the second advent, even as we just celebrated the first one as Christmas. 
The Holy Spirit is alive and working in you. The second you said you believed, the moment at which you agreed that you needed Jesus, that's the moment at which you became a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is your destiny. He's not only with you, he's in you. I hope that you're encouraged to move out of fear today. Really, it feels like we've only just begun to scratch the surface here. Which is why, in next week's episode, we're going to have Eric back to finish up our discussion. So join us for part two of my interview with Eric Hoffman, where Eric will teach us more about how to invite the Holy Spirit into our everyday. He'll also redefine the word supernatural for us, which is going to change the way you see everything, especially the Holy Spirit. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. That way, you'll just have it ready and waiting for you in your feed as soon as it's up. Of course, it's free. Bye, love. My thanks to the heroic, handsome, most talented rock star, keyboard player, producer, engineer extraordinaire, and my best friend, Blair Masters, for setting it all to music. And thank you for joining us. Come on back, and we'll talk more about how you can find your happy by living life more connected. multi-talented show me someone say that yeah (laughs) oh my goodness do you like that run at the end yes i feel like blair would really like that yeah that is classic yeah that's brilliant you're you're welcome podcast listeners (laughs)